The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Philippians chapter 2 is where we find ourselves in our verse-by-verse study, the book of Philippians. Verse 12, if you have your Bible, would you join me there? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Father, would you, in these moments, assist us in our understanding? Would you speak to us, O oh Lord, as we come to receive your word? Would you take your truth? Would you plant it? Deep in us, would you shape us and fashion us in your likeness and for your glory? Would you cause our faith to rise? Would you cause our eyes to see your majesty and your authority? God, would you renew our minds? Would you help us to grasp the heights? of the truths of your word. May we have faith to believe everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. Is salvation a work that you do or a work that God does? Is salvation a work that you do or a work that God does? Come, come up with your answer. You don't have to share it out loud. Come up with your answer. This is a, a question that believers have wrestled with for generations upon generations upon generations. And there, there are folks that love the Lord and that love God's Word that would say that it's something that depends upon us, our salvation. And there are those who love the Lord and that love God's Word that would say, no, it is all of God. reality is, is that typically we seek to answer questions like this in our own human understanding. Do you know why? Because that's all we have is our own human understanding, unless some of you maybe are extraterrestrial beings. I've wondered about a few of you. No, we have human understanding. That's what we have. We have limited, finite abilities. And what we usually are drawn to as finite, limited humans are extremes. I mean, that's sort of where, where we find ourselves on a whole host of issues, right? There's a whole group of people on this extreme, and there's a, a whole group of people on that extreme. The reality is, is that when we ask that kind of question, that there is in us a tension. And God leaves us in tension. Now don't misunderstand me. That is not to say that God on this issue is in tension. God is not. Intention. There's, there's no tension in the Lord God. And what I mean when I say that, that we have a tension in us, and that God can leave us in this tension, it is to say 
that we cannot fully understand all of God's ways. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. God's thoughts, His plans, they're so much higher than our plans. They're, they're so much higher than, than our thoughts. And so, on who does it depend? Does it depend on man and his faith and his responsibility to believe? Or does it depend on God and his sovereignty? Where, which is it? We, we find ourselves in this tension and it is in this tension that we find in these verses a help to understand what God is doing in salvation. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that this text in Philippians chapter 2, it does not resolve the tension. It doesn't resolve the tension. In, instead, really, it lets... Both of them stand. And they seem to be unreconciled, right? Because that's what we, we want to do. We want to know which is it. Is our salvation dependent on our faith? Is our salvation dependent on God? Are we the one that works? Is God the one that works? Does it depend on us? As I've heard a Baptist preacher say a thousand times, to take that first small step and let God take you the rest of the way. Or is it all on God? Which is it? Where is it? And we, we want these two ideas to be, to be reconciled together in such a way that there's, there's clarity in our minds and in our hearts. I love what Charles Spurgeon had to say. He said, there's, there's no need to reconcile two friends. And that's the, the reality from the text this morning is that these things work together. And that there is no division in God. That we work out and that He works in. What we see from the text this morning is that God uses different means to accomplish His good pleasure. That's what God has always done. God has always used means to accomplish His good pleasure. We, we see that written into creation itself. God said... Let there be light. It was the good pleasure of God for there to be light in the darkness. And what did God do? He hung the sun in the sky. And God uses the means of the sun to accomplish His good pleasure of letting there be light. And so it is in salvation. It is God's work. And he uses his people. Five points for us this morning. Guide us through our study together if you're a note taker. Five points. 20 minutes on each one of them. The person, the power, the progress, the purpose. And the proof. The person, the power, the progress, the purpose, and one application in closing, the proof. Look with me, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, first word is therefore. This is, as Jacob says, the way Paul writes. It's a, it's a logical progression most often, unless he decides he wants to stop and break out into praise like he just did. This is exactly what is happening here is 
Paul's picking up, he's using where he was, and he's continuing this, this line of, of reasoning, and he's, he's tying us to what has come before to understand what he's about to say, right? He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So Paul has just given us this great um, Christological hymn, and he's tying us back to it, and it's a, it's a call to us to follow in Christ's obedience. Is this the same language is used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore, because Christ was obedient to the Father... So now you be obedient to the Father. He's tying these things together. Um, it's important probably for us to note a couple of things here. The first is that this is not Paul calling us to be obedient to Paul. But it's him calling us to be obedient to God. Paul does insert himself here, and this is maybe why some people might think he's you know, wrongly conflating together that Paul's asking him to be obedient to him. He's not. He does insert himself here. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul is calling them to obey, not him, but to obey God and to continue in that obedience in the same way they were obedient when Christ was with them in Philippi, so you continue your obedience to God, even though I am not with you, I'm in prison in Rome. Why does, why does Paul even have to say this? Well, it's to show that our obedience to God is never dependent on another person. Your obedience to God is never dependent on another person. The church at Philippi did not need Paul. They did not need him. Now, I am sure, I can imagine, I try to put myself there, and I try to think that someone like Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the man from whom you heard the gospel for the first time. The man to whom you went to to discuss the truths of the gospel. The man that baptized you into the church. The man that, that planted the very church you were a part of. This, this is the Apostle Paul. And you're probably thinking, if you were them, how in the world can we go on without Paul? I mean, what a, what a commanding personality. What a, what a triumphant intellect this, this man has. I mean, this, is, this, is, this man is, is, is chosen by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Like, we, we need the Apostle Paul. We need to get him out of prison. We need to get him back to Philippi. Paul's saying, you don't need me. You don't need me. Don't for a second think that you need me there. They didn't need Paul there to be obedient to God. You don't need me here to be obedient to God, to honor Him, to live the Christian life. Certainly, preachers and teachers are important, and they are a help, and they should be of a value. But we are not essential. All you need for life and godliness has been given to you by God. It dwells in you. It dwells in you. That's what we see in this text. And so because of that, Paul's command to them is to work out your salvation. This is the person. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Therefore, because you have humbled yourself before God, 
and will be exalted by God. That's, that's the context. Jesus, have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, though he was in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, uh, taking the form of man, coming as a servant, humbling himself even to the point of death, death on, death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given to him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind in you. Therefore, because you have humbled yourself before God and you are trusting God for your exaltation, now work out your own salvation. Notice the language here. It's intentional. Every word matters in God's word. Every word. Work out your own salvation. Your own salvation. This is personal. This, is, this belongs to you. Your salvation. It has to be yours. It can't be your spouse's. It can't be your parents. It can't be your children's. It can't be your grandparents. It has to be yours. You have to have it. You work out your own salvation, Paul says. What does he mean by salvation? Well, this is a whole series of sermons. But the understanding of salvation is best understood in three steps, forms, ideas. All work together. The first is justification. Your justification. Paul uses this term just salvation. It encompasses justification, sanctification, and glorification. Your justification. It's a, it's a, it's a big word. It's a, it's a legal word. It carries with it legal ramifications. It is that we stand before God guilty and condemned as sinners. And that God has the right to condemn us. That His justice depends on His condemning and punishing sin. And so justification, your justification is when you... Before God are declared holy. That's justification. God says, no longer condemned, no longer sinful, instead, holy. That's justification. Now, how do we? Get that justification if God must condemn both sin and the sinner. How do we get that justification? We get it because another stood condemned in our place. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So He received the justice of God. He receives the wrath of God the condemnation of sin and the sinner on Him so that as He pardons us of our sin and declares us holy, He remains just. We just read Romans 4. Praise God for Romans 4. Praise God for Romans 3. Go and read it this week. It will help you in this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. God, His forbearance, His passed over sins previously committed, leaves us with a big question. How can God just pass over sin? Well, God did that because at the right time He sent forth His Son as a propitiation, as a payment for our sins so that God could be just and the justifier of many. Jesus satisfied the Justice of God by taking the wrath of God in our place. And then there is a moment in salvation where God 
declares us holy because of our faith in Jesus. That's justification. And it's a instantaneous declaration. Once and for all, holy, right? Holy. Up, oh, you sinned again, you're not holy. Nope. Every sin on Jesus, holy. That's justification. Now, without that, we are in no position to do anything for God. Without that, nothing else comes. Everybody following with justification? If you got some questions, we can meet up in there and talk for hours about it. Second part of salvation then is sanctification. Justification, this declaration of God before Him, holy. Sanctification then is because God has now declared you holy, you live holy. That's sanctification. You, by the work of the Spirit, you become like Christ. Sanctified, right? It's this sort of idea of uh, being a saint. Working out your salvation. That's what, what's in mind here. That's what's in view here. The third aspect of salvation is our ultimate glorification. This is the promised exaltation. When we humble ourselves before God, I'm a sinner in need of your grace. God, it depends on Jesus and his work in my place and your grace to declare me holy. That's our humility before God. Then we trust God that one day he will exalt us and glorify us. One verse to draw your attention to, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses um, 1 and, and 2, maybe 15. I think it's 12. I think it's 15. 12 or 15. If you're a note taker, write them both down. Go figure it out. Now, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, in which you received justification, in which you stand sanctification, and by which you are being saved glorification, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there they are, all three in view um, in one place. So to work out your salvation is not a means of earning your salvation. Paul's not talking about justification. He's talking about sanctification. To When Paul says, work out your salvation, he is not saying that you are to work in such a way to earn your salvation. Instead, to work out your salvation is the process of enduring in your salvation and perfecting it in the way you live. Not that God needs us to help him in his in, 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 in His perfection or His perfection on us, but that we work it out as to perfect on the outside what God has done on the inside. It's a means of enduring. That's, that's why it says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. This work of sanctification is just that. It takes work. It takes work. And praise God that, that we are, and I hope you are, if you've been around here for any amount of time, man, I hope you, you are, that we are um, grace people. Man, we, we're grace people. We get we're dirty, rotten, good for nothing, sinners, totally depraved, and we are dependent on Grace, right? I mean, I've been preaching here for 12 years. I hope you get that. We're grace people, but if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we let that just sort of morph its way into not working it out in the way that we live. We depend on God's grace. Well, God called you to live a certain way, to, to work it out. 
God has saved you for good works. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For this reason, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul just puts us in this tension. Why? Because there's no tension here. You're not saved by works. You're saved for works. These are the works which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Paul's calling us here to obey through working out your own salvation. So what does it look like for you and for me to work out our salvation? Well, it it looks like spending time studying God's Word. It looks like Prayer. It's experienced in community life within a, a church. A number of commentators I read here continue to argue that, that, that this is, is not so much an a individual, but it's, a, it's still a corporate thing. That working out your salvation is something we do together. You, you can't work out your salvation if you are not tied in covenant membership to a local church. It looks like service. It looks like evangelism. It looks like self-denial. It looks like putting your sin to death. That's what it looks like to work out your salvation. I was drawn to 1 Kings chapter 8. These are the people of Israel. They've experienced literally the physical salvation of the Lord out of bondage in Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. Generations of unfaithfulness, never-ending faithfulness of God. Now as Solomon had finished offering All this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of God where he had knelt with his hands outstretched towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. This is physical rest, but we we see in the New Testament where this was emblematic of the spiritual rest that God gives in salvation. Not one word has failed of all His good promises, which He spoke by Moses, His servant. The Lord, our God, be with us as He was with our fathers. May He not leave us or forsake us that He may incline our hearts to Him to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His rules, which He commanded our fathers. May He incline our hearts to His as justification so that it works out in us a sanctification where we walk in all His ways, keeping His commandments, His statutes, and His rules. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night. Be near. Be near to the Lord. And may He maintain the cause of His servant and the cause of His people Israel as each day requires. Let all the people of the earth know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in His statutes and keeping His commandments as at this day. That's sanctification. It starts in our hearts. May our hearts be wholly true to the Lord. 
And may our lives be a a walking in his statutes. May we, with our lives, live in such a manner as good citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel. We don't earn our right standing before God, but God works in you so that you now can work out what He has worked in. And this takes effort. That's the point. Paul's command here is to do this work, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. This is a holy reverence. It's a seriousness. It's a seriousness. I think one of the things that's been a detriment to the church in America in these last years is a lack of seriousness when it comes to the things of God. We've capitulated so much to the culture. We've wrongly appropriated the culture in such a way that it has taken away the seriousness of what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor Him. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, a holy reverence, a seriousness, a sober understanding of who God is and what God has called us to be. It's humility and submission. It's trusting God to do His work in His power. That is fear and trembling. It is the person depending on the power of God. The power. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you. I love this word, for. Every word matters. It's a causal link. It's saying... It's there so that we can see and understand that the reason why we can work out our salvation is because it is God who works in you. And that if God had not worked in you, you could not work out. That's why that four is there. It's a causal link. This happens because this has happened. It's God who enables us to do this work. I love the the juxtaposition of here, the the symmetry of the language, the parallelism. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It's God who's at work. You can be at work because it's God who is at work. You can be at work on the outside because it is God who is at work on the inside. Now, How is God at work in us? Well, firstly, because it is God who engages our will to begin with. God's work on us, His prevailing work on us, is what makes us willing to obey Him. In His sovereignty, He is fashioning us. He is bending us. And He is directing our will. Our will. Had God's will not prevailed upon us, our will would have never been to seek Him. The Scriptures are clear. Now, I know that probably, maybe, makes some of you uncomfortable. That God's work is a work that shapes and fashions our will. I know that might make you uncomfortable, but just look at it. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will. Will. 
This word works here is the Greek word from which we get energize. It, it, God's work is an energizing work that he, he comes into a person and he energizes them to obey and serve him. Where does this work happen? Where does he do this work? He does it in you. God works in you. It's inside of you. It's the inward work of the Spirit of God inside of you that calls you to salvation, that engages your will and then grants you by His grace the power to do His will. If God's will, if His work had not prevailed upon us, we would have never sought after Him. I've already encouraged you to go read Romans 3. Just read it again. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one does good. No, not one. They've all gone astray. They're all unrighteous. Their mouths are open graves. No one seeks God. No, not one. Nobody. Nobody seeks God. I got no idea who the seeker-sensitive movement was after or is after. Nobody seeks God unless God, by His grace, intervenes. Now, for those of you whose you know, heart's going a little bit here, that is not to say that God forces our will. I love the way Lloyd-Jones says it, greatest preachers ever lived, maybe except for Paul. We just don't have the audio recordings of Paul. We do of Lloyd-Jones. Here's what Lloyd-Jones says. Rather, instead of God forcing our will, rather, God does something more gracious. He persuades our will. He gives us holy desires so that we will those things. Our desire, our ambition is to work it out because it is God who works in us. There is no essential contradiction in this. Indeed, there is not ultimately any contradiction at all. It is God's initiative. God doesn't force our will. Wait a minute, Jason. Are you saying that I have no choice in the matter? God does not force our will. It's not that we're automatons, that we're robots. Remember, we don't want to swing a pendulum too far to one side, which is, you know, just an, 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 a... overboard sense of determinism. We also don't want to have it the other side. We're too heavily on free will. I've yet to find those two words side by side in the Bible. God doesn't force our will. What God does by His grace is He comes, He intervenes, and He lovingly and He graciously gives us His grace. He engages our will. He opens our eyes to see His beauty and His grace. And and He causes our desires to change from the desires of the flesh to the desires of the Spirit. His grace prevails to cause us to want to obey Him. That comes first. Then comes the work. That's why the order is the way it is here, right? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. The will comes before the work. God affects our will. He moves upon us, calling us to Himself and then calling us to His work through His power. Romans 9. So then it depends not on human will. Read that again. So then it depends not on human will. Or exhortates, or um, exertion, work. But what does it depend upon? It depends on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that, you, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy 
on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. God affects our will, causing us to want to do the work. And that happens as he works in us, in his power, energizing us, giving us the ability, the, the spirit-given power to do the work. You can't do the work to work out your salvation without the power of God. Some of you grow frustrated because you, you, you try to do the work. You, you try to read the Bible. You try to pray. You try to, to serve. But you fail and you fail and you fail and you fail. The reason is because the Spirit of God is in you to give you the power. Why do so many believers fall away? So-called believers fall away? Because they never had the power of God in them. More on that in a minute. God makes us willing And he empowers us to work. This is the process of sanctification. This is the process. And what I mean by the process is that this is a long process over time. It's a long process over a lifetime. The initial engagement of our will happens at the moment of justification. And that is a single event. It is momentary. Now it continues because God continues to declare us holy. But it's a single event. But the grace of God will continue to prevail upon us over our lifetime. And it is the grace of God that keeps us willing and keeps us working. It's a process. God's grace is keeping us willing. God's grace is keeping us working. 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's within me. What's Paul saying? This grace of God prevailed against upon me. His grace towards me wasn't in vain. It was of no effect. But instead, I'm working harder than any of them. Though it's really not me that's working here. It's the grace of God in me that's working here. Later in verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Always abounding. This is a progressive work. It's a never-ending work. It's, it's a work that happens over a lifetime. Here's the truth. And this is such good news. Those who God justifies, He will absolutely sanctify. Those who God justifies, He will sanctify. Why? Because it is His power that enables the sanctification. Depends on Him and His power. Now, why does God do this ongoing work in the life of a believer? Well, He does it, Paul tells us, for His good pleasure. That's the purpose. That our ambition, our goal, our desire should be to live a life that pleases God. This is what God wants from us. He wants from us a life that pleases Him. That's what He wants from us. Man, that sounds self-centered, doesn't it? Praise God. Who else could be at the center? He has to be self-centered. He's the greatest. God wants from you and God wants from me a life that is lived for His good pleasure. A life that is for His good pleasure, not our good pleasure. Now, that is not to say that we do not receive satisfaction and joy from honoring God. It's not to say that to to honor God and to live for God 
is drudgery. It is not. Because when God engages your will and changes your desires, now living for Him is no longer drudgery, but it's a delight. We want to live for His good pleasure. But the driving motive of a work should be the same as His driving motive for all of the work that He has done, is doing, and will do, and that is His good pleasure. Our sanctification, our working out of our salvation because God has worked in us by His grace, our sanctification brings God satisfaction. Our lives for His glory. That's what Paul is calling us to. Your life for His glory. One final closing thought. In the terms of proof. It is not uncommon for a person to wonder, how can I know I am truly saved? Anybody ever ask that question in their hearts? How can I know I have truly been justified by God? And if we're not careful, we will answer that question by referring back to walking an aisle or saying a prayer. Now, I'm not saying that that kind of experience, especially in Southern Baptist circles, that that kind of experience of walking an aisle and saying a prayer cannot be a moment of justification. It can. That can be a moment of justification. You have to come to the moment of faith. You have to. And I'm not saying that's not what those can be. that, That can be true in your life. But the evidence, the proof of your salvation should not be when I was in the fifth grade, I walked an aisle and said a prayer. The evidence, the proof should be there is now Currently, an ongoing work of God in my life. That's the proof. That you are working out your salvation because God is at work in you. That's the proof. That's what this text shows us. The proof of our salvation is not that we hold certain views about how we are to live or that we should vote a certain way or that we said a certain prayer. Those are not the proofs. The proof is God is at work in you. That's the proof. Are you aware of His working in you? Now that, remember, is a lifelong process. I'm not asking, are you aware of the work of God in your life this week or just yesterday? Because if it depended just on yesterday, I'm lost. (laughs) But can you see over the course of your life since you said that prayer, The power of God at work in you, shaping you, molding you, remaking you. That's the proof. The reality of this text is that God is working. And He is working in us. And He is faithful to His work. And He will bring His work to completion. Remember, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure 
of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you by energizing your will, he will, through his power, bring it to completion. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. God, would you, by your power and grace, would you hold us fast? Would you hold us in your power and your grace? Would you keep us believing? Would you keep us willing to honor you to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because you, God, you are at work in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. Father, if there's one here this morning who has never put their faith in you and been justified before you, may they this, mo- this morning, in this moment, may they humble themselves before you. May they confess their need for a Savior because they have sinned against you. May they confess their need for a Savior. And may they put their full trust that Jesus Christ the Lord is that Savior. And that He died in our place, taking the full weight of our sin the full wrath of God in our place, not only as a sinner, but as sin in our place. So that by faith, His righteousness will be counted to us. There's one this morning that's never done that, Father. Would that be their cry in these moments? Father, save me by Your grace. Save me. For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, and we have been justified. Father, may we continue in this lifelong pursuit, this lifelong progress of sanctification, working out our salvation with fear and trembling for your good pleasure. And in your good name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.